Hi, welcome to another edition of Steve's Speed Shop. Steve's Speed Shop is brought to you by WarrantyWise, the UK's best warranty provider. Get a quote from them today at warrantywise.co.uk. We're brought to you by West Coast Motorcycles. They're in the business of pre-loved Harley-Davidson motorcycles. They've been at it for 35 years, and you can find them on Facebook at West Coast Motorcycles. And we're brought to you by Minisports. Anything and everything for the classic mini since 1967. My guest this week is Tim Lazell. Now, if that name is familiar to you, it's probably because he's one of the world's leading automotive artists. Back in 1995, at the age of just 13, he bagged the prestigious Young Motoring Artist of the Year Award. He also actually likes cars. It doesn't necessarily follow that just because he's a good painter, he'd also be an enthusiast, but he is. He's on all sorts of interesting stuff, a lot of TVRs. He currently bats about in a Volkswagen Transporter van, and he's just bought an electric Volkswagen. But let's not hold that against him. Very interesting chat with a gifted artist. Look at his stuff, timblazelle.com. But not just yet, because uh, there's now an interesting chat coming up with Tim right now. Tim, when did, what was the car that you first saw? And was it in real life or in a book or a magazine, and you thought... Wow, look at that. The first the first car that really grabbed hold of you. Uh well my my parents my parents took me to Vintage Sports Car Club um sort of meeting. So it was probably either a Bugatti or um an ERA, uh which is like a uh, a pre war sort of um Voturette Grand Prix car. Um so um uh, English racing automobiles. So, yeah, I was sort of fascinated by by those and um, these type backyards and stuff like that. Um, so, probably something something old rather than new at the time. Um, probably like uh, early eighties. So, was uh, this was this the golden age as it's as it's sometimes described when it was all good chaps who were all enthusiasts and they were just old cars and they weren't associated with investors and crazy values and all that it was just jolly good fun for the chaps yeah, yeah i think so like a lot a lot of definitely when, when we sort of started going to watch the them as i say in the 80s you're right they were they were just old cars and you know you like a uh a jaguar d-type if it hadn't been driven there it would be trailered there like on the back of a Vauxhall cavalier or something um, so it's like really different. Whereas now you go to Goodwood or um, Spa or something, and they've got massive race tracks. It's really changed a lot. You know, they're all sort of it's probably like largely amateur mechanics and things like that that just ran them themselves. So really changed quite a lot. And um, yeah, in a, in a way, it's uh, yeah, all the, the values of the cars. As kind of sport that because <laughs> obviously a lot of cars don't get used like they're, they're sort of designed to now. I guess they're they're getting a bit old and frail as well, um, as are some of the owners probably. But they they you know the, the people are quite protective, and so they you know they, you run shadow cars and things now. So there was probably quite a purity to it um, where they were just using them if they could get them working, then they'd race them. Uh, yeah, it's kind of gone full circle a bit. Because at the time you had you had quite emptyish sort of grids, or and, and and not 
not enough cars to actually run, say, like a full 50s Grand Prix car race. So you might have sports cars racing against Grand Prix cars. And now, and then it sort of peaked, say, like in the 90s and 2000s, where you had people, you know, you had full grids uh, at Goodwood and things. And now, kind of, people are backing out of using the really valuable stuff, so they're having to go back to sort of replicas and things like that and Sh- shadows of cars. Um, so, yeah, it's quite funny, really, how it's sort of, it's sort of going around. What was your uh, what was your dad's involvement in vintage sports car racing? Was he a driver, a mechanic? Or? No, not not at all. He's just he's just there. He um, he was when he was a kid, sort of just after the war, and fascinated by Mike Corson, and that's that, and and Peter Collins, who were both sort of works Ferrari drivers in the late fifties. And they, they sort of captivated his imagination. So we didn't really have loads of money uh, to, to own cars and things or anything like that. It was more a case of um, going to watch them. Uh, he, he sort of been fascinated. He, he had an old Gilbert uh, GT, which is quite a cool car. It's an MGB engine um, car, uh, British. But then he got into TVRs, and that's kind of obviously what started my TVR craze. I've had quite a few TVRs, but he, he's still got a TVR, actually, and he's had quite a few. But So, so that's, as, that's about as exotic as it got for us as a family, really. I spoke to um, a filmmaker, an animator once at a festival, and I said, to, I used to be the editor. I you, I, the reason I was in Western Supermare is because that's where Scooter Scene magazine was right. uh, put okay. together, which is one of two uh, full-color newsstand scooter, classic scooter magazines back in the day, in the world, in the world. And we really sort of hated each other. We were like, they were like, yeah. sc- there was scootering and Scooter Scene. And scootering was like, uh, you know, if somebody said to me, oh, you're the guy from Scooter, and I got what? You know, like steam had come out of my ears because the publishers had cleverly sort of got us to hate each other so that the editorial teams would work for very little money and, you know, try and do the absolute best edition we could every single month, mainly because we hated the other guys and wanted to sort of, wanted to beat them. When I met the people, when I subsequently became the editor of the other Scooter magazine, you know, I just realised it was nonsense and that we, the whole thing was silly. But that's what young men are like, whether it's they're racing motorbikes or they're, 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 they're making music or they're building houses. Whatever they're doing, there's always another guy where you're like, oh, I hate that guy. But I was in, that's why I was in Western. And um, I'd gone, I was talking to this guy at a film festival a number of years later. I said, why is it when... Um, a two-wheel, a powered two-wheeler is portrayed in uh, animation. It's often a scooter, like a, a Vespa. Right, okay. And he said, really simple, much, much easier to draw than a motorbike. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, yeah. oh, yeah, because obviously everything's covered up. So a scooter so, could yeah. just whiz along in, in this cartoon or, or graphic novel or whatever it was, and there was far less work. So... I'm just wondering if those cars from that era, like you're saying, ERAs and Bugattis and stuff like that, are they yeah. not like, are they not really hard to paint or draw compared to a a car where you know all the oily bits are covered up? Yeah, I think I think the I think the thing is the, the funny thing is like say as I as I said before that my 
my teachers weren't really a fan of me drawing cars, but actually cars are quite hard to draw, particularly if you want to draw them moving. I think I don't think it makes a huge difference whether the wheels are exposed or not. I suppose I suppose if you want to just do it static, I suppose it, it probably is a bit easier. Uh, but then, of course, body shapes are very complex because then you you're involving more perspective and things like that. So, yeah, it, you're probably right about motorbikes. I've never really done a lot of motorbikes, but they probably you're almost painting them in one one less dimension in a way. Um, if you're if you're viewing a car front three quarter, then you know everything is disappearing away from you, whereas a motorbike you sort of just disappearing from front to back. So. Uh, not left to right as well, whereas it is with a car. So, yeah, it, you know, the the older cars, I wouldn't say there's a huge difference in in what's easier to to draw and what's 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 harder in terms of old and new. I think they're all they're all pretty hard actually. Um, they're quite complex things, cars, because obviously all the all the wheels have have got to be at the right angles. They've got to be at the right sizes and. You know, that's even just static. Whereas when you get them moving, um, a lot of people, I think, sort of very nicely, very kindly compliment me on my work. Like I, I portray moving cars well. And, and that really is really subtle. You, I think the sort of people get tempted if you sort of that you want to exaggerate everything when, when, it's, when a car's moving, that you want to do a massive slide and things like that, and that will show it's going really fast. Well, it doesn't really. It's, it's more it's a lot more subtle than that it's, it's about sort of load on the wheels and things like that the wheels going up into the wheel arch and you know you might lift just just the front front near um, wheel might be teetering where it's lifting up sort of turning through the corner and uh, the back sort of sat down where it's accelerated or if it's on the brakes and front's tipping down so there's there's so many complexities to that to actually make it look like it, what it what it should be doing, um, and that's I guess that that takes it on another another level, and you, you know that's not to mention sort of shading of bodywork. You know, often dark dark cars are much easier to 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 draw or paint because there's so many reflections, and actually the more detail you can hide in often, then then the better it the better it can look. I would I would say that to people that. You know, if someone says, "Oh, it's a really simple picture," it's like, "Well, actually, that that, that kind of makes it harder. You, you've got nowhere to hide." Whereas if you if you're doing like a detailed sort of crowd or something, you can just you can just make it into dots really and and sort of hide in that. Um, obviously, it's a bit more complex than that, but you know, yeah, I don't know. Cars cars are hard. Um, they're, they're they're not the easiest thing. Neither are you know, you know, other, other living beings, humans, and. Um, and animals and things are also hard for, for similar kind of similar kind of reasons. Um, whereas you sort of average, you know, you, you sort of tree. Actually, once you've nailed it down, you, or a house or something, you can you can kind of you use the same recipe over and over. <laughs> you average tree. It's <laughs> um, can I ask you which came first? Was it um, was it the painting of cars or painting so was uh, it oh i want to i want to yeah. paint cars or i want to paint and oh maybe cars would be a good subject um i think yeah i mean essentially it came from like i say i sort of take it to events for my parents and when we got back my brother and i were both a couple of years older i think they would have you know like all kids do you if you're inspired by something you want to draw a picture of it 
or you want to, you know, yeah, you want to sort of act it out. So I think we probably would have got back from Silverstone or something, and and then I wanted wanted to draw it. So yeah, I guess yeah, my mum, mum and dad were pretty proactive in. My dad was quite a good artist actually; he was very good. Um, didn't didn't sell um, art; he just he did it for himself really. He was very good, and he hadn't really done much since since we were born, bizarrely. But um, he he obviously helped out sort of explaining the principles of it and, and you know we would be on the kitchen floor just drawing things when we got back from events so i guess seeing cars and then portraying them i guess is how it happened really but i did i did obviously do other things but i lar- i have largely throughout my life painted cars i do you know i do paint seascapes and landscapes and things but and i used to do quite a lot of portraits but i don't you know oddly i've i've essentially done my job since I was 13 so I didn't I haven't really I haven't really had much time since that since that moment to do anything else it's been quite bizarre really so as someone who, who looks at uh, cars with uh, the eye of an artist yeah I'm sure your first car was a an aesthetic delight wasn't it it was a thing of great beauty you would think uh, <laughs> I had <laughs> no I I mean, I suppose in a way, it was styled quite nice. Yeah, I had a Volkswagen Polo Coupe, uh, 19, oh, I don't know what that would be, 1988. The, the, bread, the bread van? Uh, no, it was like a coupe, so it was like it was more chopped, chopped off. Right. It, was a bit, it was a bit cool, really, in that sense. It was a 1.3S, um, which, you know, was about as good as it got, really, uh, with insurance premiums and stuff around that time. But strangely, like the year after that, I bought a little... Um, a Midas, uh, a Midas kit car, if you know those. Um, it's a Midas Gold, which was pretty cool. I, I'd seen one. I think I'd seen one around, and, and I've always, I'd always kind of fancied one. And I, I, bizarrely, even at that time, I sort of had two cars, um, sort of when I was about 18, I think, um, 18, 19. So I, I kind of... I bought that mainly because it was so cheap to insure. Actually, I managed to find a good company to insure a kit car, and I couldn't afford really like a Golf GTI or anything like that, or a Toyota Five GTI to insure it. So I bought that, and it was dirt cheap to cheap to buy and insure. And um, yeah, it was pretty cool. We used to do sort of road rallies and that thing. So was it yeah. mini based? The Midas Gold was it? Was right mini based? Yeah. So right. yeah, absolutely. It was mini or mini metro based, um, and so. It had, I think I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Gordon Murray did a bit of the design around it. <laughs> are you, sh- um, are it you had, sure? <laughs> yeah, I am. I am I'm 1997 sure. I'm not going to take it up to 99, but because it had like a rear under tray and things, um, to, to, as a bit of aerodynamics and things. It was a, it was a very cool car, and it 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 had like a 1275, um, yeah, A series engine and. Um, you know, it wasn't perfect, but actually, it did handle really well. Well, I had a very rare Mini. Um, you might not even have heard of it. I had, which I thought, I mean, I had a Mini, a regular yeah. Mini, and it was that kind of, uh, I think they called it Okra. Right. Uh, Colour. It was very flat, the paintwork, slight, and this was a very basic Mini, eight fi- which is how I like them. 850cc, yeah. sliding windows, vinyl seats, and then... I, when the editor of Scootering magazine, I got a small ad that came in 
for an Innocenti Mini because, yeah, of course, yeah. Lambretta scooters were made by Innocenti. That's right, yeah. And really, the Mini killed off the Lambretta scooter, you know. Yeah. They, they ended up, Innocenti, being taken over by British Leyland, I think, and they, they just switched. Yeah. They switched. They licensed Mini production to Innocenti initially, and then I think they ended up taking over the company because by 72, people didn't really want... Um, a Lambretta. I mean, they do now, yeah. and the, and the Lambrettas yeah. that I used to buy out of uh, people's sheds and out the back of people's garages, drag them out from yeah. under a musty tarpaulin, ten quid, twenty quid. Yeah. An SX two hundred recently sold for twenty five thousand pounds. Lambretta. Yeah. Twenty five thousand no, pounds. Yeah, it's fascinating now um, and infuriating. All the cars, oh. not not the expensive stuff actually, but um, all the cars that we dreamed of when we were teenagers you know because a lot of my friends had sort of minis and things and um but you know i thought i still fancy just a sort of french hot hatch um like a 106 rally or a, or a Clio williams but you know they're, they're just big money now and i can't quite bring myself to to spend the money yeah um well, I'm still going to yeah. tell you. I'm still going to tell you about this mini. It was an Innocenti, yeah. But it wasn't the mini that we know and love. Yeah. It was the Batoni. Yeah. It was the Batoni yeah. design, which was much uh, more modern looking. The car wasn't much more modern, but it was much more modern looking. Yeah, it had a yeah. hatchback, and I think it was quite a distinctive looking little car. But get this, Tim, yeah. it wasn't just the Innocenti uh, mini. It was a Dita Marso version oh, really? which wow. which was like the sort of cooper or cooper s version yeah, yeah. Of, of their mini so it had a bigger That's engine cool. and which had been fiddled with so it had uh it was out to 1340 or something like that and it had a hot yeah. cam and a big carb and it had an exhaust an arbath exhaust which was specially made for that car i found out yeah and it was this will prove my point that there is a specialist for every single car ever made in the UK. In the UK, there's it might be one guy, and there was one guy in London who specialised just in these inoffensive minis. <laughs> it was like, and it, it was he was called something like Garage Six Seven Five because his the number of his house was six seventy five somewhere in London, and um, he just was operating out of his kitchen or his shed, you know, with. Yeah some parts and stuff like that and he told me he had these, uh, this exhaust new old stock and uh, this is pre-internet and all that sort of stuff so he couldn't send me well he could have sent me a photograph of it through the mail but that would have been it. he just described it to me and he said it's got like two chrome tailpipes and it's got the Abar Scorpion on the silencer and I was thinking mm. and then he went oh and it's orange the whole thing's orange and I went I love it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I went down to I went down to London. Not in not in the mini. I went in my Lancia Beta uh, HPE. Right. Yeah. You know the one that was kind of ripped off from the Reliant Civita. I know. What you mean, so yeah. it had two doors, and it was a bit like a bit like what the Polo Bread Van. It was kind of a coupe, yeah. but it was a hatchback and all that sort of stuff. And it still wouldn't really fit. So I had to have a bit of the orange exhaust sticking out of the <laughs> sticking out of the side window. And I put it on, and I just couldn't have been—I couldn't have been happier. I really couldn't have been happier. And then, sure. first, I thought, right, I've got to—I've got to go out now and listen to the, listen to the rasping, uh, the rasping notes of this new uh, Italian perf yeah. performance. I said to my performance exhaust. Well, I think I think you touched on something as well there that, like, 
you know, he didn't he didn't have didn't have the internet to to necessarily find all these these things. And it was the same sort of searching searching for cars and things at that time. Like, I mean, my, my one of my friends bought this sort of, again, sort of late teens. One of my friends saw something in a local paper, which I guess now you bung on eBay and everyone would go nuts for it, but. It was a it was a BMW 1502, and he, we parked outside, and uh, he we were like, oh, you know what, you know what, are you going to offer him and all that sort of stuff, and he hadn't, hadn't moved for a couple of years or something, and he, but he was quite mechanically minded, and he's like, I'm just I'm just going to offer him, uh, I'm going to offer him, offer him 50 quid, and I was like, we were like, no, don't you know, don't be mean to him, don't be mean to him, and anyway, he came out, he paid 25 quid, and. Um, yeah, drove it off, and then he, he he managed to drive it off. Got it started, drove it off, and then he he, he sort of road rallied it for a couple of years and did loads of stuff to it. But I don't know that you can really. I don't know. I'm not sure you can do that now in the, in the age of eBay. No, there's no, there are no bargains out there. It's, it's a not, shame, isn't it? We had yeah, um, who was can't on, find bargains. Who was on the other week? I'm trying to think, and he was he was we were talking with Rupert, and he was talking. We haven't broadcast it yet. That's why. <laughs> That's why people yeah. are thinking, what? The guy talking about the Auto Trader, and he was talking about the Auto Trader magazine. Yeah. Of yeah. course, which made John Majet, is it Majetsky? Yeah. That gentleman down in, um, well, he, did he own right. Reading Football Club? I think he owned Reading yeah. Football Club, and he dated Scylla Black, which seems like a very old fashioned kind of <laughs> success, doesn't it? it? It dates his success. He dated Scylla yeah. Black, he owned a, <laughs> a lower league football club, you know, which used to be quite the thing to do, didn't it? But you yeah. just realise how much money there is. There used to be in, and this is going to become relevant in just a second, um, how much money there was in, in periodicals, in weekly, monthly magazines. Yeah, I mean, I remember right. being in in Palm Springs. I've mentioned Palm Springs quite a lot. It's it's a real hotbed of American sort of uh, automotive interest because Palm yeah. Springs has been quite a, a wealthy resort for, in California for at least sort of 60, 70 years now, when a lot of the Hollywood people, a lot of business people went there. And they have this Modernism Week, and they have a car event as part of that. And I remember seeing, yeah. um, I remember turning up at the first car that I saw. I thought, wow, that's like the best car I'm going to see. It was a teal-coloured Studebaker Avanti, and I thought, there's not right. going to be, I'm not going to see a car that embodies the spirit of American modernism more than that teal Studebaker yeah. Avanti. And people were stood round, and they didn't know what it was. They didn't know, what yeah. is this? And I said, you, and I just piped up all of a sudden, surprise, surprise. I just went, this car was the car that almost saved Studebaker, and this car was designed by Raymond Lowy, the, one of the geniuses of 20th century design, and his design team here in Palm Springs, like this. Yeah. And people just looked at me like, I could see people looking at me thinking... <laughs> No, cars are made in Detroit. This Englishman's perhaps a bit nuts. Let's move away from him. Yeah. But it was. Did you know that? They, they, it, Studebaker were absolutely on their last legs because, you know, all those small manufacturers couldn't resist the big three. Um, yeah. And as a last gasp effort, Studebaker hired Raymond Lowy, the guy who did the lucky strike. And did he do the Coke bottle? I'm trying to think. I should know. I always think he did. Uh, yeah. he did the traditional Coke bottle. But he did a famous train, and he did all sorts of industrial design and, and, and interior design, all kinds of things. Did he do the Zippo again? I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm going to attribute virtually everything good that was designed in America <laughs> to Raven Loy. But I know he did the Avanti, and 
he had a really short amount of time to do it. And they said, listen, we can't afford to build uh, giant machinery to make steel pressings. It's going to have to be fiberglass because, you know, that's all we can afford. And he said, no, no, we'll make, a, we'll make a virtue of it and all that. And he produced a car that didn't look like anything else that had come before or after in kind of yeah. the American uh, history of American cars. And yeah. today, I think that design stands up really well. But again, I think, as you said, an Avanti was a car which at one point you would have turned up and gone, oh, what's this old piece of junk? I'll give, I'll give you, yeah. They'll give you $300 for it just to take it away. Yeah. And somebody go, oh, yeah, okay. But now, of course, if somebody did go around and found that, and this does happen, it's happened to me numerous times, that Uncle Fred had just kept this Studebaker in the garage for 50 years. All they'd do is go, Google, Studebaker Avanti, and it'd just go, yeah. four and a half million replies, and the top ones would be, Studebaker Avanti sells for record price at Bonhams or Christie's or, you know, right, yeah. whoever. And then your chance of picking it up for a song are gone. That's, it's never going to happen again because of the damn you internet, which, of course, <laughs> has killed off the, you know, to actually turn this incredibly rambling piece of speech into something relevant to what you and I were supposed to be talking about. Um, it's killed off those weekly and monthly periodicals, which... At yeah. one, one time, maybe not in your lifetime, Tim, but at one time would have provided employment for talented guys like you in the great days when the editor of Car Magazine would commission an illustration for the front for the front cover or for the centre spread. Yeah, or something I, like think, that. I think that's it. Yeah, I mean, we, we're definitely. Yeah, to be honest, yeah, even in the, even in the length of the last few years, it's it's chain it's changing quite a lot. Um, Mag- the magazine sort of side of things and people are kind of i don't know kind of collecting magazines as a bit of a almost a bit of a novelty now it seems rather than you know the norm if that makes sense um hence you're getting these sort of larger larger magazines out um out now so yeah i don't know it's it's funny funny times isn't it for all that sort of thing well yeah. are you is, is it not the case now that i don't no, for certain, but the, with magazines, subscription-based magazines, here in the UK is the only market that I really know, like yeah. Road Rat, Magneto, Auto Addicts. Right, uh, yeah, yeah uh, these kind of high-end, high sticker price, very low advertising content. Um, yeah. Uh, are they, are they a, a place for people to put the sort of illustration? When I say the sort of illustration, I mean, I'm talking about... The fifties, sixties, and seventies, really, when when yeah. car magazines would would frequently have fantastic illustrations alongside photography. Most of the photography being black and white, though, they'd they'd, they'd save the colour pages, which would often be only the wrapper, the front of the back page, and the centre right. spread would be the only colour. They'd use that. They'd use illustration. I mean, a few weeks ago, I was very excited to meet a guy called Steve Kirk. Do you remember that guy? Yeah. yeah, well, back in the day, Steve regularly used to do a lot of airbrush illustration for right, cus- okay, yeah, for okay, custom yeah. car magazines. Yeah. And when I was introduced to him, he, I didn't know he was going to be there. So we said, oh, this is Steve. He used to do And I was like, Steve, wow. And I was like, he, he was a bit taken aback because I was saying, I used to straight away, like, be there with a penknife, getting the, getting the staples back on the magazine. Yeah. And your illustrations went straight on the wall. Because yeah. they they get him to what they get him to do instead of just getting him to reproduce uh, to copy a photograph, they would you know they'd say what if 
and, and from his imagination, he conjures some fantastic hot rod or SoCal VW or something like that. And I thought, even then, I used to think, yeah, that's great because you know people are people are imaginative, people are creative. You don't have to necessarily the car doesn't necessarily have to exist except in Steve's imagination and with his talent. Yeah. There it is, fantastic. Look at that. Yeah, I think it's yeah. I mean, I, I've I've lucky enough. I've painted quite a few magazine covers and things actually, but I but. The magazines now, as the ones you mentioned, Road Rat and that, uh, Magneto, they're, they're very, um, they're quite beautiful to look at. They they do really make an effort in their in their appearance now. Um, it's not like, let's say, as you say, like back back in the day that you had, um, I don't know, motor or something, uh, auto car or motorsport, and you're right, they, they did feature art, but then it wasn't necessarily, they didn't really wildly pay attention to how the actual magazine looked whereas now they're very they're very design orientated which is quite which is quite cool um what i find interesting is the the sort of covers that i've painted people really remember them and i don't know whether that's just because obviously they come up to me and say i still got that magazine cover and i've stuck it on the wall um but actually I tend to find, and I do say this, you know, when the sort of magazines are umming and ahhing as to whether to do it, because it's a bit of a gamble, but a lot of them just have sort of photographs on the cover. And this is not, I don't mean it to be demeaning to photo- uh, photographers, because they are brilliant as well, but they don't, it's very, very hard for them to stand out. Whereas if you feature artwork, it it does stand out. You remember it. Um, I remember I did, I did Octane Magazine's um, cover, back in sort of early 2000, mid 2000s. Um, and in the same year, I did the Telegraph newspaper's coverage of Goodwood Revival. And it was like, it was like a half page pop art picture. And it was, it was cool. And that was their, that was their main image to cover Goodwood. And I think they were sponsors of it. And um, everybody was like, uh, you know, going, going crazy for it. And that's that kind of what, what actually triggered the start of that style. But I think, I think people do, appreciate art because it's it's quite hard now because people are using computer programs to you know make pictures and all this sort of stuff so and i have quite a lot of people sort of ask me what computer program i use which is infuriating but it's not necessarily their fault because they're just bombarded with it all the time you know people design a poster on a computer it's very different to to painting one um so in that sense, it's a, it's transitional, it's a transitional period as well. But I think I, I kind of have faith that people will always appreciate, you know, the the original the original factor, if you like. A bit like music, you know. Obviously, a lot of stuffs, a lot of stuffs gone. You know, obviously electronic. Whereas people do still appreciate if someone can play an instrument very well. If that makes sense. So what happened not, to not what, to segue too much, but like you know, no. you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think people do do still appreciate the the real the real deal. What happened uh, to the Midas, and was it orange? Well, funnily enough, actually, I found it again the other day because I, wow. I sold it to a German chap. Was it orange? Uh, no, it was dark blue. Dark blue. That's a bit. They were usually sort of. Yeah, in my imagination, they're all yeah, like apple green or orange or bright bright yellow. Yeah. No, I I um. No, I sold it to a German child, and actually, it's it is it is for sale at the moment, or it was recently. And I did think, oh, should I buy that back? But um, 
I don't know. I, I like my my. I I sort of quite fancied it. My my brother at the same time had a Clan Crusader. I don't know if you remember those, like the Hillman Avengers. Oh yeah, that was that was quite a cool car. Hill climb uh, and auto the, test car. Yeah, after the Midas, talking of, talking of orange, I did buy my first TVR. So I was twenty, and again, I still managed to. So I didn't scan the insurance. It was just it was just they were cheaper. I think they then classified it as a kit car, which obviously we can't suggest that is the case for the TVR. Um, but that was that was a 1976 uh, 3000M turbo, uh, which was an original turbo. So that was a broad speed development engine, and that was I think that may have predated the, the 911 turbo. So it was one of, it was one of the very first turbos. But that was bright orange with a cream stripe down the side um, and a cream vinyl roof. Now that was a very cool car, and I was twenty at the time. Wow! Uh, that was a that was a pretty cool car. Looking back, I you know I kind of wish I had, I hadn't sold that, but I did a bit of hill climbing in it, and um, actually blew the engine, which I, which never I never really sorted, and I don't I don't think. I don't think anyone's really ever sorted that engine properly. It, That's one of the worst engines. We are talking about the three litre V six, the Ford Capri. That's right. Yeah, it was, Essex, it was the Essex Essex V six engine, but with a broad speed turbo. I think they made about forty of them. Uh, wow. Might be. Um, and you know, it had I think about two hundred and forty brake uh, in eleven hundred kilos or about thousand kilos, something like that. So it was quite a quick car. It, it wasn't hugely quick off the line but the mid the mid range of acceleration was was awesome but of course there was a lot of lag in the power so when i did hill climbing um did one at whiskham park down at devon and you still have to go through a narrow section of trees you'd have to to get the lag right you'd have to accelerate before you wanted to accelerate Mm. so you have to accelerate going into the corner and just hope the boost came on at a predictable a predictable time um yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a cool car actually. Um, yeah, uh, orange cars are cool. It's like it's just sorry, they just are. You, yeah, when yeah. someone decides to paint a car orange, they're making a statement. They're saying, you know, it's uh, look at this. Um, yeah, if they if they paint it a cool. kind of like hides the dirt hides the dirt grey, my mother would say. Oh, is it hide, yeah. hides the dirt grey? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so many no. cars. I think I think around that 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 kind of period as well, like of the uh, like the early Lamborghini Countachs and and Porsche 911 RSs in the sort of in the in the bright greens, the sort of uh, the, the frog green and the, the the blood orange, the bright yellow and um, and the purples as well. You know, I, I'm quite. Yeah, they, they're sort of really coming back. And one of, one of the cars, actually, I, I quite, I still quite fancy. And I've been umming and ahhing. Obviously, I, I partially missed the boat. I really fancy a Porsche 968 um, in that sort of purple. Uh, I think that's quite a cool, that's quite a cool car. Um, yeah, I, I nearly, I did nearly pull the trigger on one a while back. But I've sort of, yeah, I, I, I don't know why I didn't. I, I need to. And I'm not very good at. I, I spot the gap, you know. I spot. I, I, I'm good at spotting what's going to go. I'm going to go crazy, and then I just don't buy it, <laughs> and then I curse myself afterwards. Well, I've just—it's a recurring theme. I've just bought. Um, I was going to buy one of two cars because I kept mentioning on the show, saying if you find one of these, just buy it. 
And I'm glad I did, because I've only had it a year, and I've noticed the prizes go a bit nuts, mainly because I think there was recently a TV show uh, that featured the car, one of the cars, and I was going to buy either a first-year Boxster, a year-one Boxster, silver with red leather, because I remember seeing the original concept Boxster, uh, Boxster at a show, and thinking, wow, that's great, but the production yeah. car will never look like that. And then the production car came out, and it looked almost identical, and I thought, wow. And I think yeah. the shape of the Boxster has aged really well, and I, I think, like yeah. a lot of cars, it was never better than the first one. People might say, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, they improved this, the, you know, more power, more this, more that, and you think, well, more's not always better. And I just Absolutely, think that the yeah. purity of that first year is great. But the other car that I kept banging on about was the Fiat Coupe 20-valve turbo. Yes, that was a very cool car. I it's managed to find blue. one. I managed That's to find... Uh, yeah, I think I'm trying to think what that is. It Portofino blue? I think I think that, that yeah. colour is. Because the, da- the dashboard was so good on that as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I found yeah, one. I it, the yeah, my, mine's ink black, which yeah. is like a very, very, very dark blue. Yeah. Um, and it's great. Yeah, I <laughs> do that. I do like them. They were they were fast as well for the for the for the time because that was probably what was that ninety six ninety seven. Yes, I think my car's ninety seven. Yeah. Yeah, they were very fast, like really fast. It is. Uh, and mine's been mine's been fiddled with a bit, as most of them are, but it's yeah. kind of been fiddled with quite subtly. So it's got yeah. a super sprint exhaust on it, which is a little bit louder yeah. than standard, but it doesn't. It Great doesn't, shape though, wasn't it? Like well, it's a very. Very different. Well, Chris like, Bangle... Wheel arches and things like that. Yeah, Chris Bangle obviously got the gig with the BMW based largely on that car. Yeah. And uh, I've got, got a little story. I hadn't had it long. And um, I stopped at a zebra crossing to let a youngish guy, maybe in his sort of mid-30s... Wow, that shows you how old I am, doesn't it? Youngish guy, mid-30s. Youngish okay. guy, mid-30s. A small boy, about five or six, who I'm assuming was his lad. And they were crossing yeah. the road. And the boy, and I had the window down. It was a nice day. I had the window down. And it was sat there at the, the zebra crossing, burbling away with a five-cylinder burble through the super sprint yeah. exhaust I've just mentioned. And it was, I'd just cleaned it. And it's, it's a good-looking car. And uh, the boy was going, Daddy, Daddy, a Ferrari, a Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the guy went, the guy went, no, 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 no. And then he looked at me and said, sorry. I said, no, it's fine. Because <laughs> he yeah. sort of, it was almost like he sort of, oh yeah, that guy it might yeah, be a bit offended, and I was like, no, no, I get it, I get it, because it, it does look a, it does look it, from from the right angle if you get it, and it, and it is the thing with that car. One of the things I like about it is it hasn't got a bad, it hasn't got a bad side or a bad front or back. No, I mean, so no. many cars, you look at the, I mean. You look at them and you think, oh, yeah, it looks great from the front. And then you go around the side and you think, oh, that's a bit. I always, and funny, it's good you said that, because I get massively frustrated by cars, which are great in one one sort of at the front or the back, and then the rest is a shed. I never understand it. I don't understand, because I wanted to be a car designer originally. I was fascinated by being a car stylist. That's kind of where I was going for um sort of my teens and i just started doing my job but um i i i'm i'm fascinated by the fact that people would start with a blank canvas and then you know you get a new car and you you sort of like but you've you've just designed that like it's you know that that's the best you can come up with and then they and then blow and hold they put it into production um you know there's a few manufacturers at the moment one particular i could i'm not going to name uh is is turning out some 
horrors. Um, BMW. It's all right. I'll say it. You don't need to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. WMD. MB, yeah. Uh, yes, that is it. And and you just, yeah, you just thought, really? And, you know, they've, they've designed so many good-looking cars. I mean, yeah, Chris Bangle, they, when the 5 Series came out, I remember everyone going mad and sort of, you know, saying, what on earth is that? What what design error? But, you know, don't they look great now? They look so good for that, that era of, I think they do anyway, that era of five series. Um, just, I don't know, yeah, I think they'll, they'll certainly be classics because I, I almost, you almost cannot fault that, that, that era of five series. It just looks so good. Well, uh, I think, I think the, the previous generation, I think it was, was it, um, it was the chap who went from, I call it, was it a Colisbada who went from, he worked for BMW for like, 18 months and did two fantastic cars mm. the the 7 series the E32 and the E34 the 5 series and you just yes, think the you just think there was never a time it, it, 1970, the mid 1970s the Germans made a realization that would lead to them dominating the market for luxury cars yeah. they thought yeah. we're really good at the oily bits let's get the Italians in to do the pretties to make them look yeah. nice. And they got a Coley Sparda, and they got the other chap whose name I can't remember at the moment for BMW, and a Coley Sparda went to um, Mercedes and was design director for a quarter of a century and produced some fantastic-looking cars, including one of... I mean, I, I've had three of them, the, BM, the Mercedes SEC with the big V8s, yeah, and I, yeah. don't think, I don't think that car has a bad angle. Yeah. It, looks, it looks great head-on, it looks yeah. great front three quarter, side on, rear three quarter, yeah. and just straight on at the back. And you think that's yeah. that's how to do it. That's how to create. I mean, the pillarless coupe, the pillarless look from side on looks fantastic, yeah, but just right. the details, and you just think, yeah, let the Germans got, do let the Germans do the oily bits. I mean, the Carmen gear, you know, the the the, the VW Carmen gear, one of those disappointing cars you could ever drive because it looks fabulous, and then it drives yeah. like a beetle. And because it's a Beetle, but again, another car where the Germans were like, "Yeah, we need, to, we'll do all the engineering and we'll make sure all that, we'll make sure it all works." Yeah. But, but let's, for goodness sake, let's Give not, let's, not, yeah. Because yeah, no, look at Mercedes yeah. for, look at Mercedes. I just made a little film for a, an auction house um, about a huge collection that the, that they were bringing to market, and this guy was obsessed with three things: VW microbuses, of which he had about yeah. forty. Um, MGBs, which he had about 100, literally 100 MGBs, uh, in various states of repair and disrepair. And then the rest of the stuff that he had was post-war Mercedes, but up until they started to look good. So it was kind yeah. of, he had a he had this huge stack of, of lumpen, like the Ponton, that Mercedes through the 50s. He, you say, yeah. good God, who, who did any, was anybody involved in trying to make this look? I mean, I'm sure it's a great car to drive. Yeah. But did anybody think about what it looks like? And then, yeah. and then all of a sudden, Mercedes, the Pagoda, the two-door SL, and, and, and the stuff like that, yeah. and you think, wow, all of a sudden, it all comes together. Yeah. Yes, it's a beautifully made car, but it also looks beautiful. Yeah. Now, I think, I, think I, I get frustrated by cars now where you just think, oh, has, has anyone designed that? Um, you know, quite, I think quite a lot of is lost on computer 
Um, I still think designing with a pen is better because you put human emotion into it. I, I think I know they've got to actually build it, and therefore, and I see why they do it. But you can see that a lot of stuff's designed on a computer. You know, you know, it's got no feeling to it. It's got no flair to it, and you just. Oh, yeah, there's so many disgraces out there. But there are, like, like Persia of the sort of, again, the sort of 90s, that, that sort of 106 um, period. That, like, a 106, I, I, again, a car I always fancy, 106 XSI. Um, that period of, and, and earlier, the sort of uh, 504s and stuff like that, they were so sharp. Um, I mean, I think that was probably Pininfarina, wasn't it? The, the 504. But, mm. you know, really sh- really sharp design. And, yeah, that's kind of... They, they've got... They've started getting it back a bit, Persia. But essentially, as soon as people... Same with the Mercedes. You know, they, they start going sort of all-rounded and blamongy, what my dad would say. It's like a blamongy. And there's no sort of angles. Almost... Some, car, some designers now gone too many angles but not in the right places you know you just think what yeah because a lot what you know a few things irritate me of cars these days sorry it sounds like a venting episode doesn't it no feel free and and, excuse the pun but venting is one of my my pet hates vents that don't exist that they just stuck on there looking like vents and there's nothing there it's just exhausts that don't exist and you're just like don't stick the vent there. There's nothing there, and I think that's what's that's what's changed about car design, I, which I'm actually really loving about the electric cars, is that they are looking very functional. So, like I've ordered, um, we've ordered an, um, a Volkswagen ID3, which actually design-wise is just so functional. There's not really anything that doesn't need to be on there. On there, I don't think. I probably need a better look at it, but. You know, it hasn't got loads of stuff stuck to it where it doesn't it doesn't need it. Um, and I think that's where car design generally has gone wrong in the last sort of 20 years or so, where people have just designed it to look, I don't know, what they thought looked nice, but actually it's not going to age well at all. It just looks shit. Sorry, rubbish. Hey, um, no problem. <laughs> and, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, the night, as, as I say, you know, you're, you're set the sort of 50s, 60s, or in the 60s, people were designing stuff to look amazing. In the 90s, almost, they went back to functionality, sort of, well, um, in I'll the see, late 80s. I'll like see. A 205 GTI, for example, you know, it's so functional, but it looks amazing. Well, I'll tell you um, a quick story from the 90s that, that, that might illustrate that. I'd gone on the launch of uh, the Renault Velsatis, yeah, which was yeah. Renault's, I think Renault's last attempt at a kind of BMW 5 Series uh, right, executive yeah. car after the 25. It's amazing. Pretty random. Yeah, it, it did look quite odd um, and unusual, but perhaps yeah. not in a, perhaps in a way that Citroën might have nailed, but Renault didn't yeah. quite. And yeah. they launched the car at this incredible modernist house just outside Paris, and they, they, they gave us free run of the house, and we could use the house. The house has been used for photography. So, as you imagine, it was all kind of glass and concrete and flat angles and palm trees and, and yeah. cacti and, and, you know, Corbusier, chaise long and, a, and a, you know, that sort of stuff. Barcelona chairs all over the shop, Bang & Olufsen TV. That, you know, exactly what you'd imagine. And somebody yeah. said, uh, somebody said, what do you think the bloke who lives here um, drives? And I said, 
I said, I've got an idea. I said, I bet it's, I bet it, it's got to go with the house, hasn't it? And so they said, well, and I said, well, let's go and have a look. There's a, the garage is under the house, and, you know, they've told yeah. us we've got, so we went downstairs, there were two cars in the garage. <laughs> what, what do you reckon? Two cars. Both saloon cars, by the way. Not sports okay. cars. Switzerland DS. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> no, know. no, who knows? You. Yes, a DS23. Was it? Oh, there you go. And a 59 Cadillac. A black fifty, not a pink. That would have been far too much of a cliche. But a black, and it was a four. It was a four door as well. The caddy, a black four door fifty nine caddy, and a DS twenty three Citroen. And and we just went, well, yes, obviously. You know, it was like, (laughs) yeah, that's what uh, the sort of person who pays that much attention to detail when it comes to their living space. They're not going to be driving. Uh, a Mondeo, are they? It's no. not. It's not. I think you, I think you hit on something as well about the box that you were saying that you know the sort of the the less frills original. I think that obviously, like we said, like sort of nineties hot hatches and stuff are are being craved because essentially the people sort of my age wanted them when they were young. Now they've got a bit more money. Now they can buy them, and now it's a bit crazy. But I also think it's a craving towards you know, like when I I've done track days in my. So I had a TVR T350C, uh, if you know what that is. Um, and, you know, people get out of Porsches and things, and they, they're like, oh, my God, that was fast. And I'm like, well, you know, I sit them down, and for a start, I have to talk them through how to get out because there's no, there's no handle as such. And what to do, you know, there's no ABS, no airbags or anything like that. And then they're kind of like, all right, and... Um, but then they, they sort of just saying how, how much they love just getting out of this GT3 RS and they've just been blown away. And then I take them out of the TVR and they are like just gobsmacked because it's just so raw. You know, they, they don't, there is nothing. I, I sort of say, you know, look, we're going into a corner fast here. If I don't get the gear change right, then we'll, we'll you know, I'll have to panic a bit. We might go off, we, you know, we're, we're going to drive within the tolerances. But ultimately, it's not the same as flicking down a paddle shift and just driving into the corner. Um, I think I think people are craving, with all the automation, people are craving simple stuff again um, and just, just basic things. And I think you're right with Boxster's great for that, um, the original. You're right in that the, the design has a real purity to it. And ultimately, it's a, it's a great car to drive, good value, and it's, it's actually pretty fast, and it still looks it's it still looks great. You know, I think there's a quest for manuf- manufacturers just keep bringing out new versions, adding things to them, you know, making them faster. I, I have a pet hate of manufacturers, um, obviously, other than the ones that might pay me to do some of their work. <laughs> great guys, but they <laughs> they just they just make you know. I was saying this to my brother just a minute ago. They just keep making engines more and more powerful. And it's like, really, uh, you know, just make your car, start making your cars lighter and lighter. Don't keep adding stuff. And they're getting bigger and bigger. Do people, you know, I live in Somerset, so I don't want a massive car. Um, so I don't want a really wide sort of, I don't know, supercar. It's not my, that's not my thing. Supercars aren't really my thing anyway. But, you know, I, I just think, actually, I, I was, Again, in conversation with my brother, I, I fancy like a Renault 4 or something like that, just that, or a Citroen 2CD van. Just that, that purity, you don't need to go fast to have fun. Obviously, I do. I sort of drive quite fast at, at times. 
Um, but actually, the exhilaration is is out of to know it can be had at low speed. Certainly not with technology. The less technology you got, the more of a buzz you have. I had a few years ago. I bought um, an Alpha One Four Five Two Liter Cloveleaf. Yes, yeah. And I... Which is a great shape. Well, I, yeah, I, I think so. I bought it for all kinds of reasons. One, because... I, in fact, I read something the other day that said you could... Da- you, uh, you, you, could hadn't, you hadn't spent enough at your local garage. Yeah, well, time. you could age a motoring journalist by what is <laughs> what his favourite mark is. And it said the, the older generation were all big... The guys that preceded me... I'm 57 years old. The guys who were kind of 10 years, 15 years older than me, all huge Lancia enthusiasts. They always yeah. love Lancia. My generation, the sort of 70s, 80s guys, we love Alfa Romeo. Anyway, yeah. um, I bought it because I was reading an old copy of Car Magazine and Leonard, Leonard Setright, the old G- LJK Setright, had said that the two-litre Cloverleaf was his car of the year. And then I looked at the other cars on the list and I thought, wow, that was a vintage year. There were some fantastic cars. And he put yeah. this one top of the tree. And right. it was very cheap, and I bought it, and I thought, it was, the, the interior was, <laughs> I realised why it was cheap. This bloke told me this convoluted story. There's always a convoluted story when you go to buy a used car, isn't there? If it's a good yeah. price, there's always a story. Yeah. Somebody died, there was a gambling debt, it was, it's never a conventional, there's always this story. And the story that this bloke told me was that he was a plasterer, but he'd, been caught playing away by his wife and he worked for his wife's brother so he'd lost his plasterer's van when his wife kicked him out and so he quickly pressed his car into service and used this alpha this two litre hot hatch as his plasterer's (laughs) van and so the interior of this alpha had just been destroyed and so i thought i was driving it right i remember when to pick my son up it was very close to where he was living at the time in manchester where the car was for sale and so i popped round to see him and, it, and he and i said hey i've got a new car and he said oh what is it dad and it, he loves alphas because he was brought up i had a lot of alphas yeah. i had a spider which has been in the family since 1991 two liter series two uh spider and i had three or four one six fours one six sixes uh 147s a 156 uh sport wagon just oh, alphas, God. alphas coming out of the coming out of the uh, everywhere, and um, I picked him up in this in this one four five cloverleaf, the plasterer's van, and he was like, "Dad, what happened?" <laughs> and I said, "I tell you what happened." The bloke who the blo- and I told him the story, and he went, "Oh right, right. What are you going to do?" And I said, "Well, if you'll help me, let's just strip all this out because I never really need more than two seats, and to be honest, I just need one, and the passenger seat had been completely destroyed because he just got in the habit of." of stacking bags of plaster on the passenger yeah. seat so it just completely destroyed and um i stripped out everything all the seats apart from the driver's seats the car I just took any everything out of it i couldn't believe how much better to drive it was really you yeah. know like you, you've seen a magazine feature or you've watched them do it on the telly yeah. and they've said hey you want some cheap speed do this and yeah. they just strip and you think how oh, ridiculous it yeah. works. I took no, all yeah, that no. stuff. It must have been a few hundred pounds of weight when you think about it, because yeah. it was everything. I just took everything out of it and threw it away. Absolutely. So I'm driving down the road in a car with one seat, the one that I'm sitting in, and, and hardly anything else in the way of sort of interior fixtures and fittings. And yeah. I must have driven it sort of 40, 50 miles previously. Did that, got in it and thought, wow, what a yeah. difference. I, I'm oh, with you. Because kind of, I, 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 I race a bit, and I... I'm obsessed in in a way with weight. Um, I go on a diet, obviously. <laughs> but, I, but yeah, you know, I just 
some people are just not bothered by it. I was like, you're mad. I was like, you know, if you pick up, if you pick up like, a, I don't know, just like two kilos of something, and you just say, well, if I can raise up my car, that's that much less. It's heavy two kilos. You know, you, you pick up in your hand, you just hold it up. That is, that is a lot of weight for a car to move around, around a, around a track or, a, you know, around a corner. And I just think, yeah, I think people are nuts when they just don't think about that. I just, yeah, which is, comes back to what we say, you know, what we're saying about manufacturers, you know, just get rid of some weight. We've talked there's, we, there's a reason, like a Lisa Lees is so it's such well, a good car. You I know, think that part one of Lees, you know, yeah, I think that very clever men. It's mainly been men, almost exclusively. In fact, down the down the ages, down the automotive ages, I've tried to convince the car buying public that they should pay more money for less car, for all kinds of reasons. Like we're able to give you less car because we're really clever and this is a brilliant design and, blah, and so you should yeah. pay more. And people are like. Ugh. Do I not get more for my extra money? Yeah. Re- yeah. People are hardwired, I think. The general yes. public are yeah. hardwired to think that... Yeah, we just mentioned Lancia's, or rather I did. And, of course, the big problem for Lancia was saying to a car buying public, yeah, it's got a four-cylinder engine, and it costs, us, it costs more than that V8, but it's a better car. And the yeah. public would go, yeah, but that one's got a V8. How can your car be better? Well, okay, have you got an hour? We'll explain to you all the clever stuff that we've done because we're yeah. geniuses. And the people are like, no, no, I'm just going to go and buy that one because it's got a V8. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it. And actually, going back to the sort of Porsche 968s, at the time, I think a, I think a Sport, uh, which obviously had the rear seats and things, and Air Con, possibly, it, that one was more expensive than a Club Sport, but you wouldn't get that now. Obviously, yeah. it would be completely reversed. Um, I still quite fancy a Cub Sport. I, 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 I fancy a Cub Sport, but, I, but I, again, it's like having kids. I've got my kids are six and eight, and you know the amount of times I use stuff without, you know, I, my daily driver is a Volkswagen Transporter because <laughs> that's a, I ferry my kids around. Um, I stick my surfboards in it. I, I love surfing. Great. And I stick my bike, my bike in it, and I, you know, I, it's none of this like. You know, messing around with bike racks and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I just have it all in the. I have it all in the van, um, and it's ready to go. And there's, there's something. There's something in that. I just think the convenience. You know, I like take the kids to school. I might you know take a few of my my son's friends to football, and you just load everyone in. And everyone I know who's got having a van. Everyone I know who's got interesting cars. And every motorcyclist I know has got a van about the yeah. place, because you can't you can't ex, you can't exist without one. You no. realise if you, once you once no you've had one, once, once you've had one, you think yeah say, yeah once, once you've had one, you're like how on earth? What were we doing before? Right? Yeah, how did we exist before we? You, you know, like oh, the other day I, I somebody said to me, oh, I'm in town, but um, I'm on my bicycle. I said it's fine. We'll throw it in the back. Of the, I'm in my van. Throw it in the van. Oh, great. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it'll just go straight. Will I not have to take... No, you won't have to take anything off it. No, it'll just go right. straight in the back of the van. And he was yeah. like, he was he was like, what a great idea. And I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> but it's the, the problem is, as a, as a regular citizen, it's hard to insure a van, isn't it? They go, they go unless it's yeah. collectible. So the thing to do is, like you, get a van which qualifies, get an old VW one that you can stick on a classic policy. Because, you know, yeah. you, you just... Do you know what? We've run out of time. Oh, uh, 
I know. That was good. You've got to come good. back. But what I've not done is, because I am, I've saved it till the end, but I am a, a huge fan of uh, of what you do. And it's no, it's Thank no, you. it's well, it's no accident that you've become one of the most recognised uh, automotive artists. I wanted to talk to you about that. So we must get you back on about whether you feel, oh, well, I'll ask you the next time you come on. But for now, yeah, let's direct people to your excellent website where people can see uh, can see your work. Yeah, sure. Um, so it's uh, timlazel.com, L-A-Y-Z-E-L-L. Um, oh, and I'm on um, Twitter and Instagram up there. I don't, I don't do loads of social mediaing, um, but um, I feel I have to these days. I'm a bit of a technophobe in that sense. I kind of, I'm an old-fashioned person. So am I. People, um, I'm not, the funny thing is, actually, people think I'm going to be really old because I've been doing it for so long. I started sort of in the mid nineties, but I was forty last year, um, and but I've been so I've been doing it, yeah, 20, more than twenty five years. Everyone expects when if they if they if they just email me or something and then they meet me, yeah. they kind of think I'm going to be about seventy or eighty. Well, I was going to um, say I was going to say you're the Lulu of automotive art, but that yeah. that was purely because when Sidney Poitier popped his clogs the other day, they got Lulu on to talk about being yeah. in that film to serve with love. I didn't realise how young she still is because she was famous when she was yeah. like twelve. So right, yeah. you know, it's like so she's still relatively young. But yeah. I, I, I I, my my tagline originally was was kind of like still only still only eight. <laughs> I, I can't do still only four. <laughs> but I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. That's it for another episode of Steve's Speed Shop. Social media doesn't let us tell you about it. You need to spread the word about Speed Shop. Tell people how good it is, how entertaining it is, and how fantastic I am. See you back here next Wednesday. <laughs>